Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...which formed the small currency of Bessie's circle. Not that any scruple of probity restrained him. In trifling matters he recognized the usefulness of such encounters in the social game, but when he was with Justine he always felt the obscure need of letting his real self be seen. I was stupid enough not to telegraph, he said, and I am afraid my wife will think me negligent. She often has to reproach me for my sins of omission, and this time I know they are many. The girl received this in silence, less from embarrassment than from surprise, for she had already guessed that it was as difficult for Amherst to touch even lightly on his private affairs as it was instinctive with his wife to pour her grievances into any willing ear. Justine's first thought was one of gratification that he should have spoken, and of eagerness to facilitate the saying of whatever he wished to say, but before she could answer he went on hastily. The fact is, Bessie does not know how complicated the work at Westmore is, and when I caught sight of you just now I was thinking that you were the only one of her friends who has any technical understanding of what I am trying to do and who might consequently help her to see how hard it is for me to take my hand from the plough. Justine listened gravely, longing to cry out her comprehension and sympathy, but restrained by the sense that the moment was a critical one, where impulse must not be trusted too far. It was quite possible that a reaction of pride might cause Amherst to repent even so guarded an avowal, and if that happened, he might never forgive her for having encouraged him to speak. She looked up at him with a smile. "'Why not tell Bessie yourself? Your understanding of the case is a good deal clearer than mine or anyone else's.' "'Oh, Bessie is tired of hearing about it from me.' "'And besides,' she detected a shade of disappointment in his tone, and was sorry she had said anything which might seem meant to discourage his confidence. It occurred to her also that she had been insincere in not telling him at once that she had already been let into the secret of his domestic differences. She felt the same craving as Amherst for absolute openness between them. "'I know,' she said almost timidly, "'that Bessie has not been quite content of late to have you give so much time to Westmore, and perhaps she herself thinks it is because the work there does not interest her.' but I believe it is for a different reason. "'What reason?' he asked with a look of surprise. "'Because Westmore takes you from her, because she thinks you are happier there than at Limbrook.' The day had faded so rapidly that it was no longer possible for the speakers to see each other's faces, 
and it was easier for both to communicate through the veil of deepening obscurity. But, good heavens, she might be there with me. She's as much needed there as I am, Amherst exclaimed. Yes, but you must remember that it's against all her habits, and against the point of view of every one about her, that she should lead that kind of life. And meanwhile— Well? Meanwhile, isn't it expedient that you should, a little more, lead hers? Always the same answer to his restless questioning, his mother's answer, the answer of Bessie and her friends. He had somehow hoped that the girl at his side would find a different solution to the problem, and his disappointment escaped in a bitter exclamation. But Westmore is my life, hers too if she knew it. I can't desert it now without being as false to her as to myself. As he spoke, he was overcome once more by the hopelessness of trying to put his case clearly. How could Justine, for all her quickness and sympathy, understand a situation of which the deeper elements were necessarily unknown to her? The advice she gave him was natural enough, and on her lips it seemed not the counsel of a shallow expediency, but the plea of compassion and understanding. But she knew nothing of the long struggle for mutual adjustment which had culminated in this crisis between himself and his wife, and she could therefore not see that, if he yielded his point and gave up his work at Westmore, the concession would mean not renewal but destruction. He felt that he should hate Bessie if he won her back at that price, and the violence of his feeling frightened him. It was, in truth, as he had said, his own life that he was fighting for. If he gave up Westmore, he could not fall back on the futile activities of Lynbrook, and fate might yet have some lower alternative to offer. He could trust to his own strength and self-command while his energies had a normal outlet, but idleness and self-indulgence might work in him like a dangerous drug. Justine kept steadily to her point. Westmore must be foremost to both of you in time. I don't see how either of you can escape that. But the realization of it must come to Bessie through you, and for that reason I think you ought to be more patient, that you ought even to put the question aside for a time and enter a little more into her life, while she is learning to understand yours. As she ended, it seemed to her that what she said was trite and ineffectual, and yet that it might have passed the measure of discretion, and— torn between two doubts, she added hastily, "'But you have done just that in coming back now. That is the real solution of the problem.' While they spoke, they passed out of the wood-path they had been following, and rounding a mass of shrubbery emerged on the lawn below the terraces. The long bulk of the house lay above them, dark against the lingering gleam of the west, with brightly lit windows marking its irregular outline and the sight produced in Amherst and Justine a vague sense of helplessness and constraint. It was impossible to speak with the same freedom, confronted by that substantial symbol of the accepted order, which seemed to glare down on them in a massive disdain of their puny efforts to deflect the course of events, and Amherst, without reverting to her last words, asked after a moment if his wife had many guests. He listened in silence while Justine ran over the list of names. The Telfer girls and their brother, Mason Winch and Westy Gaines, a cluster of young bridge-playing couples, and, among the last arrivals, 
the Fenton Carburys and Ned Beaufort. The names were all familiar to Amherst. He knew they represented the flower of weekend fashion, but he did not remember having seen the Carburys among his wife's guests, and his mind paused on the name, seeking to regain some lost impression connected with it. But it evoked, like the others, merely the confused sense of stridency and unrest which he had brought away from his last Lynbrook visit, and this reminiscence made him ask Miss Brent, when her list was ended, if she did not think that so continuous a succession of visitors was too tiring for Bessie. I sometimes think it tires her more than she knows, but I hope she can be persuaded to take better care of herself now that Mrs. Ansell has come back. Amherst halted abruptly. Is Mrs. Ansell here? She arrived from Europe to-day. And Mr. Langhope, too, I suppose? Yes, he came from Newport about ten days ago. Amherst checked himself, conscious that his questions betrayed the fact that he and his wife no longer wrote to each other. The same thought appeared to strike Justine, and they walked across the lawn in silence, hastening their steps involuntarily, as though to escape the oppressive weight of the words which had passed between them. But Justine was unwilling that this fruitless sense of oppression should be the final outcome of their talk, and when they reached the upper terrace she paused and turned impulsively to Amherst. As she did so, the light from an uncurtained window fell on her face, which glowed with the inner brightness kindled in it by moments of strong feeling. "'I am sure of one thing. Bessie will be very, very glad that you have come,' she exclaimed. "'Thank you,' he answered. Their hands met mechanically, and she turned away and entered the house. End of Book Two, Chapter Sixteen